MAGA. Make America godly again. That's what we're doing. He just starts yelling. Whenever the music starts, he just starts yelling. Just, I didn't know if I want to change the song or if I want to change game. Can you, I don't know. Which, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out which one is. Well, you messed up the rest of my intro because that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Toby Chalk Knox on the water, boy. It's good to be with you. It's Tuesday evening. Tuesday. Yes. yes. Hey, you guys know about the Fight Laugh Feast magazine? It's a quarterly issue. <laughs> The packs a punch like a twenty-one-year Balvini magazine. Noise. Like, ah, make America did you do that on purpose again? I, oh, you didn't do that on purpose. No, Maga, no. okay, uh, wow, it didn't even. And you just good. sat down like four seconds ago. We That's don't amazing. water down our scotch. Why would we water down our mm. theology? Order a yearly subscription for yourself, and then send a couple yearly subscriptions to your friends who've been drinking lukewarm evangelical, maybe even Baptist Kool Aid. <laughs> Every quarter, we promise quality food for the soul, wine for the heart, and some Red Bull for. Turning over tables. Our magazine will include cultural commentary, a psalm of the quarter, recipes for feasting, laughter sprinkled throughout the glossy pages, and more. Sign up today at fightlifefeast.com. Mm. Enjoy oh. the magazine. <laughs> That's nice. Order the magazine. Oh, gosh. No, you said enjoy, and no, I said order. You're beating the, the was, horse uh, dead. <laughs> joke's coming three. Where's that, where's that I, I just, horse? I, the horse? I, I, mine, mine was a third. Because we have Uncle Tom, uh, the, the creators of Uncle Tom. Yeah. I, we have a different setup, so. <laughs> all right, all right, let me move on. KJP. Karine Jean-Pierre. I want to call her Karen every John time. John Paul II. Every, every time. John the, Paul II. The Pope? No. Karen. Well, and, uh, no, she, well, well no. you, you know, <laughs> Peter Ducey, he, he kind of be doing all right. He's like the only one in the White House correspondent who actually challenges mm-hmm. KJP in the press conferences. Well, he actually challenged her about the, the legitimacy of the 2020 uh, elections versus the 2020, uh, 2016 elections. Versus uh, the 2020 elections. Yeah, that's right. So if we're all in agreement that it is incorrect to say the 2020 election was stolen. What about the 2016 election? Look. It's a fair question. I'm not going to go back to where we were or what happened in 2016. We're going to focus on the here and now. We're going to focus on what's happening today, uh, this inflection point that the president pointed out uh, very clearly, very decisively mm. uh, in, in a few speeches about what the country needs to do at this time to bring the country together. And he believes that's where majority of Americans are when it comes to protecting our democracy, when it comes to protecting our rights, and when it comes to protecting our freedoms. That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to focus on, on where we are today. Wow. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> protecting protecting our rights. Right. Everybody, yeah. we're all concerned about democracy. We're all yeah. concerned about our rights. I, don't know, I, I fell asleep. Yeah. Uh, but apparently... Um, she tweeted out in 2016 that the uh, Trump's election was not legitimate. Un- unprecedented. The new attention on the MAGA Republicans. You tweeted in 2016 oh, I knew this Trump stole an election. Hold on. I was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. Hey, well, pause real quick. You have this job and you are ready for a question. The yeah. last thing you yeah. do if you're on the other side of this podium is continue asking that question. You better. She you, she was ready for if it. If she's ready for a question, yeah. I want to pivot. It's like, oh, let me pivot to this side because she must got something for me if I ask this question. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. If denying election results yeah. is extreme now, yeah. Why so let's let's be really clear that. That comparison that you made is just ridiculous. I have How been, I have ridiculous. been, well, you're asking me, you're asking me a question. Yes. Let me answer it. And you said it was Wait, ridiculous. 
I was I was talking specifically at that time of what was happening with voting rights and the what was in danger of voting rights. That's what I was speaking to at the time. Hold on. Okay. So thank you. So if this just make this note real quick. So she's saying, hey, I wasn't talking about the elections. I was talking about the fact that people weren't having the right to vote properly to come out and vote. But remember what administration was just ending his administration it is the Obama administration. Right. So it that, was his voting. Sure. Rules. But even so, she's saying that I'm talking about that people weren't given the proper ability to vote. Uh-huh. And that's what the context is. So then wouldn't it follow if they didn't get the proper opportunity to vote? Then it wasn't then legitimate election. It wasn't legitimate. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? That's the point. But now you're using logic. And that's and, probably outlawed. That's probably racist. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, just keep playing. I think that's actually it. I actually don't think we have the whole, oh, the whole the, video. Oh, which we were supposed to have So the rest of the clip, uh, she goes on to turn it into January 6th. Yeah, she she actually she turned the corner right in January sixth. She said the bigger problem is there's actually people who were really physical this last election and tried to steal the election. Yeah, and, and got violent, just it, like they did when Trump was elected. That that's what well, I well see. What, I what you out. don't understand yeah. is that no one charged the White House. There was not a mob of people right. that trying to break down the fences and uh, get were, into the White they House. They were trying to they were trying to break down Trump's. Uh, hotel. Well, Trump, listen, Trump is the one who sat up there while the city was in disarray and took pictures next to a burning church so yeah. that he can look good in front of his that constituents. So that, that was so good. Thank you. Oh, I thought you were saying what no, I was no, doing no, was good. No, no, I'm not talking to you. Wait, you, you playing the devil's advocate is making me mad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because, because Trump security. Gabe was, just said he's going to vote for Trump in 2024. Here, no, I didn't. <laughs> no. I'm going for DeSantis. Here's DeSantis, what, my here, man. Okay, so I wish we had the rest of the clip because that clip was— it, She, she, she kind of won the conversation. She did win the conversation yeah. because uh-huh. he allowed her opportunity to come in and turn it to January 6th, and no one really has any retort against that. But this here's the problem with this for me. It's not her so much as it is Ducey. Why do we care about her tweet? What does it have to do— with American democracy at the end of the day. This is one of those moments where I'm like, we have one of the best or one of the brightest people who are sitting here who are journalists at the White House and playing YouTube gotcha question moments in the middle of a press conference. And I don't really care. I think that's where you're wrong. Okay. Because I... I, No, no. I'm talking about the the first first sentence. (laughs) We got some of the brightest journalists. (laughs) 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 No, don't say that. I don't want to be wrong there. I want to think that this... (laughs) I want to think that Ducey is intelligent and bright, and he is—he's right now. No, he's no. been known I mean, for think, catching her slipping. No, I think, right? I, I think yeah. he but is. Just but just because you get a journal, just because that you, room though represents us well. That's what I'm just gonna say. Yeah, yeah. I don't, and I—I yeah. I don't think that it's a room full of critical thinkers, independent right. thinkers. I think I think some of them are really intelligent yeah. people, uh, but I don't think that's what they're doing there. But, I, don't, I don't think the the independent thinkers well, then it the makes one sense. that would actually cross examine. Um, Biden's policies, they're not allowed in that room. Yeah. I, I guarantee yeah. you they're not allowed in that room. Well, Ducey has done it a number, a couple of times. He's done it a number of times. Yeah. There's got to be something there, though, he, where he's, he's throwing soft punches he's, or yeah, something. He, yeah. He's the token individual yeah. you know, in, in, yeah. individual thinker, yeah. independent but there's, thinker. But th- asking these kind of questions and what no, you are in the fourth You're estate right. for America, but, that doesn't benefit us because you've got a gotcha clip. But that's my point. That's yeah. my point. That's the best we've got. <laughs> it's Peter Ducey. 
Peter Ducey yeah. doing the gotcha thing. Yeah. Right. That's the best we got. And so we walk away on Twitter, and I've seen everybody like, ooh, boom, boom, yeah. bang. Yeah. Fire. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Which is like, why we don't have the whole answer here. Mike because drop. this was a clip we grabbed off Twitter, and we we, we later uh, we, we actually watched the, the, whole, watched thing. the whole thing. And I'm not, I'm not one yeah. who wants to cheer for Kareem Jean-Pierre, they, but. They clipped it when she turned it on him and to make and, Peter look better. It, what it, happened. it was yeah, just yeah, very yeah. disappointing. So, but part of what, you know, part of what she, so she really did in 2016, tweeted out that the Trump election was invalid and that the Kim election yeah. was invalid. She tweeted that out yeah. in 2016. After elections, of course, coming off uh, Obama's administration, right. who was running the elections. She did clarify in her clip, and she said, I do believe that uh, Trump was elected president. She, and she then did she said later on say that. that also, yeah. But um, contrary to her tweets. Yeah. Is what sure, but but she clarified sure. it. So yeah, yeah. I'll take her at that. Um, but, here, but then she says, Peter Ducey's comparison is ridiculous. Right. Ridiculous. Why is, why is when Democrats compare elections and say that they're... Um, uh, invalid, not ridiculous. But when the uh, conservatives do that, it's Gabe, ridiculous. Gabe, that question is ridiculous. <laughs> next, Moving on. Next. Well, and I think <laughs> any I, other questions? Okay, <laughs> then I didn't think so. Well, I think this is also coming off the hills of a Biden speech yeah. that that happened last week. There's still a yeah. lot going around on right, that. Right. Um, there's a, a, a Emperor recent- Palpatine. Biden? Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Uh, uh, tra- Travelgar uh, did a survey looking at that found that 56.8% of Americans saw the speech as dangerous at escalation and rhetoric and designed to incite conflict amongst Americans, while 35% said it was acceptable campaign messaging that is expected in an election year. And then you break it down further, 89% of the Republicans, 18% of Democrats, and 62% of independents consider Biden's speech dangerous, and only 4.7% of Republicans, 31% independents, and 70% of Democrats didn't think it was dangerous. Right. And so we're looking at, you know, they're pulling and saying, how did, how did America receive that speech? Right. Well, I think one of the, one of the uh, disingenuous things that happened in that speech was Biden, remember, he, he, the Democrats right now are using the word MAGA. MAGA Republicans. Yeah. They're trying to brand. It's a bad word now. It's a yeah. bad word. They turn it. Trump had it as a good word, as a positive yeah. word. It's like Pharisee. Right. Was a good word. Now is a bad word. Right. And and is and part of the disingenuousness of <laughs> of this speech. Sure. Is Trump uh, Biden goes on to define what he means who MAGA is. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. So everybody who's a Republican. Yeah, everyone who's a Republican. Well, that's what, that's what the they really mean by MAGA. The right to choose. Right. The right to, to marry whoever you want, that's right. Republicans are against that. MAGA Republicans right. are against that. But what happened uh, was we actually discovered insider video. You remember when the black guy uh, went in as a KKK guy, put on the hoodie and went in and kind of um, did that, remember? Uh, no. no. Uh, uh, what's his name? Black guy went in, went in as a uh, you KKK? know insider, uh, oh. put on the KKK they hoodie didn't, they didn't and infiltrated. <laughs> Well, we we got we got secret video of of Biden's campaign doing that to, to the, the MAGA ma- crowd. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. The the sad thing about it is that they truly value God, and the moment you mention Satan, they just lose it. I joined their movement to to see what they were about, and 
It was... It was horrible. They believe that we should help ourselves before helping other countries. Which, which doesn't make any sense at all. And that's what their racist America First is all about. These, these people are so out of touch with reality that they choose facts. facts over feelings <laughs> and that's the definition of fascism <laughs> <laughs> is that a fact <laughs> like um, and that's not all imagine thinking parents should be in control of their children instead of our great non-binary school teachers. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what the hell is that about? <laughs> these are only some of the extreme ideas that these people have and practice. Not to mention their love for the criminal Trump and their hatred for a lord and savior, Klaus Schwab. <laughs> um, for those who are listening via audio, <laughs> that's good for those who are listening via audio they actually show his face you know it's supposed to be one of those like hidden camera videos yeah. and they don't blur out his face at all it's part of the that's really good comedy. stuff yeah yeah there's a that goes on for like three minutes it's pretty good it is yeah. good and it probably was undercover uh <laughs> justin malone and chad jackson up next the creators of uncle tom 2 you don't want to miss this. The first doc was good. This one's way, 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 way better. More with them up next on Cross Politics. This is where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. Home. It's where you build your legacy. Where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first. Or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy. MAGA! Amen. Stop it. <laughs> Make America godly again. I don't think anybody thinks it means that. That was, you owe me. Well, after Peter Ducey got his, you know, got the floor swept with him, he better be. Welcome back to Cross right, Politic right. on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Stop sending your hard-earned money to companies that hate you. It's mm. time to build a Christian economy. Yes. Bobo Construction, Inc. is literally doing just that for all of your construction needs. Partner with Bobo Construction, Inc. today. For any project in California, Nevada, Washington, or Idaho, contact Austin Bobo at a. Bobo, B-O-B-O, at BoboConstructionInc.com or visit the website BoboConstructionInc.com. <laughs> He's now putting his uh, 
his email out there anymore. No, his cell phone. <laughs> his cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. used to give out yeah. his cell phone? Yeah. Yeah. Call me. That's enough. That's enough. He's like, all he said right. too many people to him. Hey, with us right now, we're really grateful to have Mr. Chad Jackson. He is co-producer, editor, and what you call him? Boss Hog? Boss Hog, yeah. Uh, like, that's uh, the new title uh, in the Uncle industry. Tom Justin too. reports to him. He's a Christ follower, <laughs> husband, dad, conservative, INTP, I don't know what that means, entrepreneur, film, researcher, and... Um, We've got a teaser. Oh, no, and he's he's from Texas. Oh, there we go. Oh, that now, we go. now we Where can play. It? The Where teaser. is it? Okay, hey, where is it? Roll clip. All right. Many of our people's minds have been whitewashed. If a Negro comes up to you and you turn your back on him, he's got to run to the honky. We're going to take time and patience with our people because they're ours. All of the Uncle Toms, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk. And when they slap, we're going to bow. And we're going to try to bring them home. And if they don't come home, we're going to off them. That's all. How are you? Great. Thank you. What we're covering is a very layered thing. We're talking about over a century of tactics, writings, education, journalism, music, film. All these different vehicles being used to carry out this ideology. You made Uncle Tom one, and that wasn't enough. Now, now we're back with round two. What makes Uncle Tom two the real red pill that America needs? That's a great question. You know, people typically, whenever you know a sequel comes out for any film, let alone a documentary. Uh, people ask themselves, well, why would I want to watch part two? You know, part one was so good. Sequels typically suck. How can they possibly follow <laughs> it up? But, um, you know, we, we got a lot of, of, uh, of emails and, and comments from people who have watched part one, uh, particularly homeschool parents and, you know, educators saying you guys really need to make a part two going here, um, into, you know, a lot of these questions pertaining to, you know, black conservatives and the black experience from a conservative perspective. And so we did just that. And I think we knocked it out of the park, at least, you know, if you ask the people who are writing reviews on IMDb and so on and so forth, we didn't pay for any of those reviews. They're all just from people's, you know, experience after having watched the film, a lot of people are saying part two is better than part one. And so that's something I stand by and, you know, I, I challenge everybody to go see it and see for themselves. Those aren't, those aren't Twitter bots writing those reviews, are they? Well, you know, not on a film like this. <laughs> They're the same people that are, that, are, that are bombing uh, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want those people writing your reviews. Um, so check no, out. I mean, those are some... Al- those are some very eloquent uh, Twitter bots, if, if so. <laughs> Man, that, yeah. that AI, you know? Have you seen them? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Chad, what did you do in the second film? What What is it that you were trying to communicate and trying to get over to people in the second film? Yeah, yeah. So what we were trying to communicate. And so I went into this project as a researcher. Um, what I wanted to understand was the concept of blackness and who uh, traditionally have got to um, ha- have had the luxury, if you will, of defining what blackness is and comparatively what whiteness. Um, because I feel like there's such a call these days from so-called pro-black activists and pro-black intellectuals that, you know, we need to embrace blackness, black this, black that, black everything. Uh, but whenever you lift the veil of who these people are, who funds them, where their thought uh, uh 
you know, process comes from, you'll find that oftentimes it's white Marxist intellectuals. Mm -hmm. And so these white Marxist intellectuals are the brain trust of these so-called pro-Black activists. And so I wanted to demonstrate that. And I really wanted to get into uh, a lot of the uh, cultural uh, relics, if you will, that exist today uh, of what comes into the mind when an individual asks the question of what is Black culture? Uh, because I'm of the belief that uh, uh, today, so-called Black culture comes more from the entertainment industry and what they see on television than it does from uh, our great-grandfathers and and uh, particularly in that era of time coming out of slavery and into the 20th century, people like Booker T. Washington, who was a model for, you know, casting down your bucket where you are, being excellent, being productive, regardless of what your circumstances are. Uh, that existed in the Black community, particularly in the South. And with that, you saw uh, tremendous strides being made in this country by Black folks in terms of, in, in terms of uh, you know, entrepreneurship, uh, families, churches, so on and so forth. And so that's that's what comes to mind for me when I think of Black culture. Somewhere along the line, somewhere down the road, there was a demoralization process that took place where we began to change the way we think, where we began to uh, take our identity from what we saw on television and what our so-called civil rights leaders were telling us about ourselves versus what our fathers and grandfathers were doing. Um, and so all that to say, we wanted to try to package all that into a film and and it was a very lofty goal, I, I should say. So what we what we ended up doing was kind of slowing it down, going back to the basics, uh, taking it back in, in time and telling the story of, you know, what is Marxism and what does Marxism have to do with America? And more particularly, what does Marxism have to do with Black America? And once we've established that, we can then get into the meteor cultural stuff. And so we had to save that meteor cultural stuff for a part three. So part two mm. really takes you back in time. It's a very... Uh, it's a it's a smarter film, I would say, than than part one, um, but it really gets yeah. at the heart of what's going on uh, currently in our culture. Chad, you you already have kind of sketched, um, you know, the the, the history. Um, is there a particular turning point? I was going to ask that. I mean, um, you know, where where you know, like, where, do you see a point? Like, I mean, there's is a process. Obviously, we didn't get here overnight. But but is there any place that you like pinpoint and you say, I think this is where um, you know, uh, black America bought into this or, uh, where we lost it. Yeah, I would say the sixties. And that is a era of time that a lot of people can't really fathom or conceive of being a negative turning point simply because that happens to be the time, which was the peak of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we're told by mainstream historians, mainstream, uh, scholars that the civil rights movement was a high point for America. Um, and it was really worth it to unpack uh, uh, why they have that narrative and where a lot of these notions come from. Uh, is the premise of that notion rooted in facts or is it rooted in a kind of sensationalism or false mythology? Mm. And unfortunately, what we found was the latter. Uh, people don't know who J.H. Jackson was. Uh, J.H. Jackson in the 60s was the most famous pastor, black pastor in 
and he was conservative. He was reformed in his theology. Mm. And what he believed was that to the extent that Jim Crow's existed, Jim Crow laws rather existed. And mind you, a lot of these Jim Crow laws were falling off the books. They were being repealed uh, at the municipal level, at the state level. Mm-hmm. Across that was in the, for a long time. Yeah. 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 So they were being repealed well before, you know, Martin Luther King, for example, even came on the scene. Uh, of course, mainstream scholars today will credit the civil rights movement uh, for, you know, uh, uh, ending racism in America. But again, that's that's contrary to the to the truth. And so to, to your question about uh, what was a turning point, I would say the 60s, because what it came down to was rhetoric and uh, the stories we began to tell ourselves. Again, what Booker T. Washington taught us as black folks and as white Americans in the South, too, was regardless of what your station in life is, you have opportunities available to you. The question is, what will you do with those opportunities? Will you cast down your bucket where you are? Will you be a man? Will you be a woman of virtue? Will you be children of honor who honor your mother and your father? Will that be your identity? If that is your identity, then there's no, there's nothing that somebody can say about you that will keep you behind. And so that was the kind of mentality that gave rise to the Tuskegee machine, that gave rise to the Negro Business League, that gave rise to Harlem, even, yep, which yep. we demonstrate in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so you, that a lot of the strides that were being made in the Black South in particular could be laid at the feet of men like Booker T. Washington. This mm-hmm. ideology went, in, went on into the church. Uh, uh, Dr. Jo- Joseph H. Jackson, who I mentioned earlier, uh, was born in Mississippi. Uh, he became a pastor. He Uh, took the job as the lead pastor at Olivet Baptist Church in Chicago. He handedly uh, the post as president of the National Baptist Convention in, I think, 1954, I believe, uh, around the time Martin Luther King was was, uh, graduating from from seminary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Martin Luther King was trained uh, uh, to, in a sense, be a kind of social justice pastor. Uh, A lot of people don't realize that, but he was. And so at the behest of his advisors, he was advised to wrestle away leadership from Joseph H. Jackson uh, with the National Baptist Convention because the National Baptist Convention boasted 8 million members. Mm. And uh, the reality was whoever that the the leadership of the National Baptist Convention uh, could set the tone for how the so-called black community would challenge some of these Jim Crow laws in the, wow. in the you know middle part of the 20th century. And so uh, because Martin Luther King was young and wet behind the ears and just not very popular, he kept losing uh, that post to Joseph H. Jackson, who was beloved by, uh, the, the, by Black churchgoers. Right. And so uh, Stanley Levison, who was in Martin Luther King's inner circle, advised him, well, let's start another convention called the Progressive National Baptist Convention. They started that. It didn't do well at all. And so they axed that and they started something called the Southern Leadership Conference. And then they later changed the name to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference attracted a lot of students, a lot of black students. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what they what they did, and you can find footage of this. We, I mean, I have some of it right here. Uh, they admittedly uh, came out and said, we are rebelling against the adult generation uh, uh, who are mm. stymated, who, who are, you know, uncle Tom's and sellouts and, and they're not 
as aggressive as we uh, would like them to be. They're not as in your face as we would like them to be. We much prefer Martin Luther King and, and what he's doing. And so he was more popular amongst, you know, the youth. Uh, okay, Chad, hold, uh, on, hold on one second. I got, this, I got a big yeah, question. Wait, hold on, wait, wait, that, wait one second. We're going to talk ask. about this backstage. Okay. Okay. Because okay. what well, this sounds like you just said was we. Were, this is like the story of slavery. We were sold out by our own people again. This is insane. We'll yeah. talk. We'll talk about more about this when we go to the backstage. Because where do where do we get Uncle Tom two from? What's that? Where where do we get Uncle Tom two yeah, from? Is there a website? There? Yeah. Where, how, where do we get it from? Yeah, so it's it's, it's streaming on UncleTom.com. Um, that's that's our website. You can find part one, but you can find part two there where we're more. You know, that's when we're more excited. About. So okay. Um, yeah, it will it will blow your mind. Yeah. The movie will blow your mind. UncleTom.com. You if you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. When I talk to families about NSA, I'm almost always asked, what do our graduates do? The short answer is that NSA grads end up in a wide variety of disciplines, founders of businesses, filmmakers and producers, doctors, writers, marketers, financial experts, lawyers, teachers, pastors, consultants, software developers, and more. And it's a good question, but there is something that we need to talk about when it comes to this question. It shows how much our society has bought into the idea that a college degree is primarily about certifying you for a particular job. A college education ought to reach far higher than mere job training. The original goal of higher ed was to train, shape, and prepare our young people to be cultural leaders wherever they go, no matter what career they land in. Think of it like this, the historic liberal arts student, the student we are cultivating at NSA, is a mechanic for maintaining a just, equitable, and free society. The question I would ask you is, does our society need such mechanics today? Would this graduate have lots of work to do? Well, yes, an overwhelming amount of work. Today we live in a society that is falling apart largely because we stopped equipping our students with the know-how they need to build, preserve, and fight for our freedoms, culture, and society. If your son or daughter faithfully pursues this type of education, it means that they will always have plenty of productive, fruitful work to do because there are just so few people being prepared in this way. Think of any organization, a business, a nonprofit, a local government. What do they need? People. In particular, they need people who are equipped to problem solve, communicate, think outside the box, work well with a team, all while being moral and ethical. Students trained in the liberal arts are equipped in these areas, making them highly employable. Employment for the Christian goes far beyond landing a job as a coder and has more to do with being a leader if you end up coding. Over the centuries, liberal arts graduates have taken on countless critical leadership roles in a wide range of industries, becoming professors, pastors, writers, politicians, legal experts, and founders of businesses. Such leaders forged our nation. And beyond their day job, such people go on to do really important work like building schools, churches, and other key organizations that serve as places of refuge and strength in a broken land. Even more importantly, they go on to start strong families and raise the next generation of saints. The result of such education is dynamic communities centered around worshiping the triune God and enjoying Him forever. The switch from viewing college education as mere job training to that higher calling of leadership building is a serious paradigm shift. But the more I see our graduates go out and build, both here in Moscow and in the world at large, 
the more I see the long-term fruit of this orientation shift. For decades, the American College campus has been the battleground upon which the church lost the next generation. We send our kids away to college and they come back with their faith destroyed and their allegiance is converted to woke ideologies. But it doesn't have to be like this. College can be the culmination of our children's Christian education where their love of God is strengthened. Here, they are given the tools not only to follow in the footsteps of their ancestors, but to stand on the shoulders of their forebears and to rebuild the walls of Christendom. For this reason, New St. Andrews was founded, and for this reason, we continue to gift our students with the liberal arts so they can reach their higher callings. To learn more, visit the link in this post. And as always, I'd love to chat if you want to learn more.